This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity with Dan Monroe. Welcome back to Brojo Online. You know, it's funny, I've talked in and around the people-pleasing subject for so long and so many pieces of my content, and I haven't actually directly done a piece just about what it is to be a people-pleaser and what to do about it. So that's what I'm going to do today. Today we're going to answer three questions. One, are you a people-pleaser? Or at least how you can identify this in other people, if that's the case. Two, if so, why are you like this? And number three... If being like this is not working for you, how to become someone who's more confident, healthy, and assertive without losing all those nice aspects of your personality as well. So what's funny is I've found many people don't identify with the term people pleaser, and yet so many people clearly are people pleasers. There's something about that term that people shy away from. They're happy to be called a nice person, or a lovely person, or a kind person, or a helpful person but they might shy away from the term people-pleaser. And then there's others who embrace it. They're like, yeah, I'm a people-pleaser. I've been working with people-pleasers for over five years now, and I was a people-pleaser and still have some of those traits uh, for at least 25 years. And I chose to coach people-pleasers for a couple of reasons. One is because of my personal experience, I know the pain and the misery that people-pleasers experience. I know what it's like to be one and how shitty that is essentially, at least after a long period of time. But also, even if that wasn't the case, I think I'd choose to work with people-pleasers because I really believe out of all the psychological mindsets out there, the collective people-pleaser community is doing more harm than any other, maybe even more than psychopaths. They're doing harm to themselves, as in they create a miserable internal existence, constantly chronically anxious, which then fluctuates to massive depression, really superficial connections and loneliness, etc., etc. It's really miserable to be a people-pleaser in the long term. But also, it's really bad for society to have such a huge amount of them. You know, when I look around, I've been all over the world now, and I'm always on the hunt for people-pleasers. I've got a pretty good people-pleaser radar. I know it when I meet one, and I've tested this many times, you know, checked in with the person, found out I'm right, sort of thing. And and people-pleasers are essentially a catalyst for bad people to succeed. You know, for people who shouldn't be managers to become managers, for people who shouldn't be parents to have control over their children, for people who shouldn't be politicians to run countries, people-pleasers pave the way for these really harmful people in society, like psychopaths and narcissists and manipulators, to take control and do all the damage. People-pleasers are like the enablers of harmful people. They don't do the harm, but they let the harmful people go unchecked. You know, they create a kind of bystander audience, and that's a huge audience. I'm at the, currently I'm at the hypothesis that more than 50% of the people in the world would fall strongly into the category of people pleaser. And that's why I've dedicated my life's work to trying to reverse that number as much as I possibly can, because that environment allows the worst people to thrive. So if you're not going to change being a people pleaser for yourself, think about doing it for society. You know, if you really want to please others, if you want to take care of others, think about the possibility that you being a people pleaser is actually the worst way to do that. That there are much better ways that the world needs more sheep dogs to protect the sheep from the wolves. The world needs more assertiveness and more confidence and more honesty than what you are currently providing. 
Look, I'm going to be really blunt and straight to the point in this podcast about people pleasers because being nice doesn't get through to them. I know because I was one and because I've coached them, you know, dozens of, of people pleasers now, hundreds maybe. And I know that the only way to really get through is to create a crisis. You have to hear what people pleasing is in all its stark, naked, dark, truthful detail to realize just how fucked up it is to be a people pleaser. It's not just some minor personality quirk. It's actually a very serious mental problem that can be changed, that can be corrected. And by corrected, I mean not becoming something other than what you are, but actually becoming what you should be, becoming more authentic to your beliefs and your values and less of somebody who's trying to make others happy. So today we're going to look at what a people pleaser is. I'm going to share everything I've learned about it. We're going to look at why it happens. Why do people become people pleasers? And why do they maintain it after they've become it? And then, of course, at the end, we're going to talk about the very, the most simple ways to overcome it, to become more confident, more genuine, and therefore more of a contribution to society at whole. All right, let's start by what a people pleaser is. I think as Einstein is quoted as saying, if you can't explain something simply, then you don't really understand it. So I'll try and explain people pleasers simply. A people pleaser is someone who tries to make people feel pleasure in relationship to themselves. That's it. So the primary intention of a a people pleaser is to make you feel good and to attach that good feeling to themselves as as the source of it. So if I'm a people pleaser, I'm trying to make you feel positive emotions and have you believe that I am the cause of those positive emotions. That is what people pleasing is at the core. A manipulation to make people feel good. And I'm going to talk about the different ways this is done and slowly unpack why it's not quite as virtuous as it appears to be. Why it's not so nice after all. Now, in no particular order, I'm going to go through some of the key traits. Number one, self-sacrifice. This is particular to personal relationships, good friendships, your boss, people you look up to. This tendency to put your needs behind the needs of others, and to see this as a particularly good thing to do. And it ends up with a tendency for you to be used and sort of taken for granted by people, which you actually encourage and allow to happen. In fact, you seek it out. The great example is what I call the airport pickup. You know, picking up someone from the airport is almost always a hassle, right? The airport's always far away. It's always at a terrible time. And so most often the person who's doing the picking up at an airport is a people pleaser because it requires self-sacrifice. So a people pleaser is the kind of person who, they'll pick you up from the airport and there's nothing wrong with that, but they'll do it at a time that's inconvenient for them. They won't make you wait three hours at the airport until it's a good time for them or so they can avoid the traffic. They'll go when it's a shit time for them and makes their life difficult. They will sacrifice their own quality of life to just prioritize your need let alone serve your need, actually put it so far up the hierarchy that they hurt from it. Self-sacrifice is huge with people-pleasers. They actually take pride in it. They like to hurt when they help. And they see that if, if helping someone wasn't painful or inconvenient for them, then it wasn't really help. It has to really hurt to be counted. So already, hopefully, you can start to see just how fucked up that perspective is. Like, why should you have to hurt? Why should you have to suffer so that others can have an easy ride? Why are you so low in the hierarchy of of 
care and love in your life? Who taught you to think that way? And would you encourage others to? The second one I've got here is living virtuously, which is a range of things. And by living virtuously, I mean living up to society's expectations, doing things that are well accepted and commonly accepted and looked upon with favor. Being busy, for example. People pleasers tend to be very busy because being busy is seen as a good thing for, in most societies for some reason. Being helpful, being seen as somebody who's supportive, being a good listener. Being outraged by unfairness and inequality, you know, defending the weak, preventing conflict. All of these things are what society says is a good thing to be, without great justification, just says they're good things to be, or or role models it. And the people pleaser will try their best to tick all these boxes. A people pleaser will spend their whole life figuring out what society thinks is a good person, and try to match that. Without really deeply going into whether or not that is a good person. It's just if everyone thinks it, then that's what I'll try to be. You know, the kind of person who stays late at the office to do extra work, even though they're not paid. That's the people pleaser. The one who overworks themselves for free. Because they're seen as a good person, they get a pat on the back for that. People pleasers are highly affected by peer pressure. They find it hard to say no, particularly to people that they like. You know, and this can end up being anything from starting cigarette smoking, going to parties you don't like, hanging out with people you don't like, even going to like university and taking on a whole career that you're not interested in just because your parents put pressure on you. You know, people pleasers tend to fold under pressure and find it very difficult to assert themselves specifically to people they love or people they look up to. But even for the most extreme people pleasers, they just can't say no to anyone. Right, and they can get themselves into a lot of trouble. You'd be surprised how many people pleasers end up in prison. That surprised me when I was working with criminal offenders. You know, to go there and and find out a lot of guys are criminals because they're trying to make somebody else happy. It's a bizarre reason to be a criminal and throw away your life, but people do it. And it's really no different going to prison than it is to take on a whole career you hate just to keep your parents happy. It's a different kind of prison. But a prison nonetheless. Another one is avoiding conflict. People pleasers hate conflict, they hate confrontation, they tend to back down, especially when it gets emotional, they try to placate people, get everyone to agree. I remember seeing this in myself uh, when I first started working at Corrections, there was a guy I had to confront about not obeying the rules properly, and he was the first, I remember him because he was the first one to actually blow up and have an outrage kind of outburst at me, which I hadn't seen coming, and at the time I was standing in a hallway, and I was kind of boxed in and felt really vulnerable, and this guy's known to be violent, and I felt really scared, and I just backed down. I backed down from making him obey the law. I actually put my job in jeopardy by not doing what I was supposed to, simply because he got angry. You know, I did everything I could to get away from that anger, and when I did, he started being all nice again. He was like, oh, thanks, you're the best probation officer I've ever had, blah, 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 the old shit that they say all the time. And so again, I was being conditioned to be rewarded for backing down, which, you know, just further kind of aggravated my people-pleasing syndrome. On top of that, people-pleasers tend to be avoidant of uncomfortable emotions or uncomfortably emotional topics, and quite often deflect with humor. It's really common for a people-pleaser to actually have a pretty good fine-tuned sense of humor that allows them to avoid anything serious. So they'll either be the kind of placatory, look, I'm sure everything will be fine, it's all good, 
even though it's clearly not. Or they'll be like I used to be. I was like Chandler from Friends. You know, I could react to anything with sarcasm and kind of pretending to be unaffected and turning anything into a joke and deflecting everything into humor. No matter how serious something was, I could make it funny so that it didn't keep being serious. So I didn't have to deal with the uncomfortable and unpleasant emotions that came up. I was the kind of guy who could joke at a funeral and get away with it just so I didn't have to cry. On top of being uncomfortable with your own emotions, you're often uncomfortable with other people's and you'll try to prevent them from having emotions as well. You think it's your job to fix people who feel bad. And you try to control them. You solve their problems without being asked. You know, I used to play the counsellor role. Whenever somebody was anything less than happy, I'd sit them down for a talk and would not leave that talk until they were happy again. I felt there was just compulsion to fix people who were having painful emotions. And I really, it didn't even occur to me to question why I was doing this. It seemed like absolutely the right thing to do. An absolutely noble thing to do. Like, how could it be bad to make people happy? You know, it, it kind of got past my attention that the word make comes into it. Like, I'm forcing something on someone. And it definitely, for a long time, never occurred to me that painful emotions might actually be helpful to improving someone's life. And this is the people pleaser. You know, the people pleaser doesn't want anyone to feel uncomfortable about anything when they're in the presence of the people pleaser. Because if they accidentally associate that with the people pleaser, then they won't like him. So I didn't want anyone to feel bad around me in case they thought I had either made them feel bad or I wasn't doing a good enough job at stopping them from feeling bad. And then they would then not like me because I didn't do that good job. Even though I lied to myself about it a lot, Deep at the heart, I always knew it was about making people like me. And if you're truthful with yourself as a people pleaser, you'll know that when it all comes down to us, you want people to feel good around you so that they like you. Yeah, or at least certain people. Another thing that people pleasers do is gift giving. Now this can take the form of literal gifts, like buying stuff for people. You know, the the type of guy that's called the walking wallet, who's just constantly trying to buy love and approval. Or it can be done through acts of kindness or or other acts where it's not really a gift as such, but it's a giving and it's a covert contract, which means there's an expectation of a return on that investment. People pleasers don't give for free very often. They either expect something from the person they're giving to, like the person will then appreciate them or be nice to them or like them, or they kind of expect something from the universe in general. Like they expect to be rewarded with some sort of good karma for being a good person. They use gifts as a kind of currency to to invest in that reward. You know, a great example is my my girlfriend's mum. She just constantly pops around with food that she's just randomly cooked for us. We never ask for it. You know, well, almost never. Food's like a currency to her. And she comes and like gives it to you in a way you can't say no, in a sense. And then you're left kind of owing her because she made you food. And then she might even use that later on. So it's kind of like a currency. It's a a real people-pleasing thing to do. People-pleasers tend to downplay their strengths and successes. They're perfectionists, or they think of themselves as such. Nothing they ever do is ever good enough for long. They seek approval, but they also reject it. So while they're constantly trying to succeed and show off and kind of appear to be good... When somebody actually recognizes them for this, they'll push back against that. They're they're very uncomfortable receiving compliments and recognition, even though they desperately crave them. And I've already done a whole separate piece on this, but the gist is basically a suspicion 
a paranoia that this is actually not true, that the person's lying to me, or they're just wrong, or that they're being set up for some sort of future loss. So it's typical, like, I used to always blame my success on luck. So if I did something well and it went well, I'd say that I was lucky. If I did something bad, of course, it was my fault because I failed. On that same sort of note, people pleasers are notorious for fishing for attention and compliments. And with something like Facebook, you can see it really clearly now. That people have put out these provocative statements hoping for lots of comments and likes. You know, sulking, humble bragging, using attention seeking in a guilt trippy sort of way. These kind of very indirect requests for approval. You know, I used to do a lot of sulking back in the day. If I didn't like something and I wanted someone to comfort me and recognize how awesome I am and how much they've neglected me, I'd just get very quiet and very kind of cold and hostile until they felt uncomfortable enough to go, oh, what's wrong? And I'd kind of reel them in that way. You know, that's classic people-pleaser stuff. You know, you see the posts on Facebook are classic, (laughs) you know. Like somebody writing like, oh my god, can't believe that happened again today. And that's all they write, you know, just throwing out their bait for attention. Comedians. If you watch comedians carefully, especially newer comedians, the people-pleasing is ridiculously obvious. It's painful, even. They're obviously feeding on the laughter from the audience. And this one I relate to quite particularly because that was my trick, was to make people laugh. That was my number one weapon of choice for people-pleasing. I pleased them with humor And they saw me as the funny guy. And that was my favorite thing to be. And that's why I was really, I really identify with Chandler from Friends. I was him. To a T. To a fucking T. With the issues with women and everything. Uh, I was Chandler. I even had some friends who called me Chandler. So, that kind of like, if somebody can find a way to be funny, not only do they get to avoid uncomfortable emotion, they can also fix other people's uncomfortable emotions and get lots of approval. It's It's a weapon of mass destruction. In the people-pleasing world. So a lot of people-pleasers become funny. Or try to be funny. Or at least jolly. People-pleasers tend to be resistant to help and support. They like to be seen as independent. They don't trust delegating uh, important things in their life to other people. They don't like to rely on others. They feel uncomfortable with going into debt. Um, They feel uncomfortable being helped and supported. Even though they would force that same help on someone else. They don't like receiving it. So you kind of like, if you're you're a people pleaser, if you insist on doing everything on your own, but those same things you would help someone else with. You know, it's like different rules for you. And that's another common people pleaser trait is everybody's got different rules. So the way I treat myself as a people pleaser will be very different to how I treat other people. I'll generally treat other people a lot better than I treat myself if I'm a people pleaser. Anxiety and panic attacks are common. For people pleasers, social anxiety in particular, uh, but just generalized anxiety disorder and panic attack disorder. You know, it can be as little as like every time you're going to go to a big social event where there's lots of people, you suddenly need to go for a dump. You know, you always get that nauseous gut feeling when you have to go into a place where there's too many people to handle, too many people to please at once. Just that anxiety reaction to having to keep people happy, you know, and and just a, a desire to be alone. Even if you're not an introvert, just this like this relief you get when no one's around to be pleased and you're kind of off the hook for a little while and you can just be yourself. Some but not all people pleasers get very distraught about being disliked. 
So some people pleasers are okay with just certain people liking them, and as long as that happens, they don't care if they're hated by others. While other people pleasers feel bad about anyone hating them, and that was the kind of people pleaser I was. You know, and that that's one that uh, st- stuck with me for quite some time. Even after I became a coach, that one still hung around a bit. I noticed it because as my profile grew slightly, I started to get more negative feedback from random people, and I noticed how, how long that would sit with me. You know, I got a bad book review on my first book, and I thought about it for weeks, you know. That's that's the people-pleaser mindset. Just the signs of disapproval really seeming to have a heavy weight of evidence in your mind. You take it really seriously when someone doesn't like you or shows signs of disapproval. More seriously than you take other things. And more seriously than you take real threats. You know, you'll be more worried about someone calling you fat than the fact that you're actually putting on weight. You know, it's the disapproval that gets the higher ranking than the actual health. So that's pretty common. And on top of this, people pleasers tend to take bad feedback very personally, regardless of the source or the credibility. And I used to play this kind of game when running workshops um, to help people realize how ridiculous it is to take things personally. And I used to say, you know, if a little two-year-old toddler came up to you and just said some mean stuff, would you give a shit? And some people actually said yes. So some people, it doesn't matter who says it. If it's something bad, then it's worth taking personally. Whereas other people pleasers, they only take certain people's advice seriously, but they still aren't really reliable sources of evidence. Like your boss might hate you, but your boss doesn't know anything about you. So for them to hate you is based on no evidence, almost no evidence at all, and yet you take that very seriously. At the same time, you'll be suspicious of good feedback and resistant to compliments, like I said before. So like in high school, I remember distinctly some girl walked past me and said, oh my god, you're so ugly. Just random, like, three-second moment in high school. Girl I'd never seen before and never saw again. And I can remember that better than any compliment I got in high school. You know, that one clearly sticks in my mind. I can't remember specifically people saying nice things to me as much. So we tend to really, like, hone in on bad feedback and see it as a threat when we're a people-pleaser. And, of course, people-pleasers aren't one type I mean, if you're introverted, you're more likely to be the shy wallflower, you know, kind of hides in the background, just tries to avoid disapproval. Whereas if you're an extrovert, you might be more of a show-off, like I was, and try to get approval. So you're either avoiding disapproval or getting approval, or generally a mixture of both, but with a preference. You know, you can see this in the salsa dance scene. There's the person who sticks to the wall and dances in the shadows, and never asks anyone for a dance, just hopes to be asked. That's the shy, introverted people-pleaser. And then there's the guy in the middle with his best shirt on, doing the fanciest moves, even though the girl he's dancing with can't keep up, because he's scared everyone's watching, and he wants to make sure he looks good. You know, they're both people-pleasers. They've both got the same issue. they just got different personality traits, so it comes out in different ways. So there's even more to it than that, but if you're a people pleaser, that list should have been ringing home pretty hard. There might have been a couple of exceptions. Nobody's exactly any of these things. In my experience, people pleasers are a huge range of people, but that list should have really sort of hit the mark for you, at least a lot of the things on it. If that's the case, then you're almost certainly a people pleaser. Uh, Particularly if we just go back to the original point that I made, which is a people pleaser where you're trying to make people feel pleasure in relation to you. You're trying to gain positive attention from people. Okay, if that is one of your priorities, if that seems to be an intention behind your behavior, 
you know, if you can't give without being noticed and recognized for it, you know, there's a good chance you're a people pleaser. Why does this happen? It's a question that's worth asking that a lot of people don't take the time to ask because they beg the question, as it's called. They've assumed that it's good to be this way without double-checking, right? And that was my problem for a long time. I thought, well, of course it's good to be good to people. Case closed. I don't need to fucking look at this anymore. It wasn't until I got into my 20s where I've now seen more than two decades worth of this not working for me that I came back to the original question and said, okay, is being good by my definition actually that good? And this is the key here. The reason you're like this is almost certainly because of a pattern that you developed in very early time in your life, childhood most likely. And it was a pattern that worked for you to manage some potential pain or risk or very real pain uh, that it was occurring to you. And And it was a pattern that was formed while you were in a childlike state or even a teenage mind before you had developed really strong critical thinking abilities. You know, you didn't know how to double check shit properly by the time this strategy was formed. And by the time you could have critical thinking, you're so deep into the strategy that all you could think critically about was how to make the strategy work even better, rather than challenging the strategy itself. So essentially, if you're a people pleaser, there's a really, really good chance that you are just being the frightened child that you once were, with a much more sophisticated and experienced version of the same strategy. Okay, Maybe you developed a pattern to manage an unstable parent. Right, maybe you had like a wild parent who was, you know, a bit more controllable if you were a good little girl or a good little boy. Or maybe you were bullied and you found that the bullying stopped if you could make everyone laugh. Um, There will be something that happened to you when you were younger that was very painful and scary and some sort of social connection. And then people pleasing was your strategy. Either the wallflower avoid disapproval, like if you've got an abusive parent. Or the show-off get approval if, like me, you were a kid who went to like three different schools before the age of seven and didn't know how to make friends, right? There'll be something that worked for you, or at least it seemed to work, because it reduced the amount of pain that you experienced. And you came to the conclusion that it was a good thing to be. Plus, this was encouraged. One of the key elements of people-pleasing is that all of this behavior is approved of. So you're like, okay... Um, got no friends at school, I'll try and make a joke and stand out. Everybody laughed. They like this. Okay, so I thought it was a good idea, and then they laughed? That confirms this is a good idea. Oh, and then that girl said, I'm the funniest person she knows. Oh my god, I've made her day. I am such a good fucking person. This is on point. Right? And that's that's how the kind of uh, confirmation bias works. This idea that being nice is the same as being good is true, Gets, you know, you get these pats on the back from people, this approval, being a good student or being a funny kid or being super nice or whatever it is that you end up being. And you think, well, if everyone else thinks this is good, I must be on track. Yeah. You're too young to consider, hey, maybe everyone else does approve of this, but they're wrong about this being best thing for me. You know, you just don't have that kind of sophisticated thinking at that age. And by the time you are capable of that kind of thinking, it's kind of too late. Until you listen to something like this, hopefully. So why did that pattern develop in the first place? Well, the same reason any kind of unhelpful strategy usually develops. Fear. Fear of rejection. Fear of ostracism. Fear of abandonment. Fear of any kind of pain, socially speaking. 
When you're a child, you want to make the scary things go away. You know, you want the monsters under your bed to disappear. You develop with the best, you know, the best you can with what you've got. You develop a strategy to make sure the thing you're afraid of doesn't come true. If you're afraid of rejection, you can avoid that by either being very likable or not being noticeable. Both of those things do not get rejected. So it's a, a good strategy. Ostracism, you know, you can avoid that by fitting in. If you fit in with everyone, you you won't be ostracized from the crowd. And of course, if you can avoid ostracism, you can avoid abandonment. You know, if you're worried that your parents will leave you, well, making them happy keeps them around, or so it seems. So your strategy made sense to you back then, and there'll be some of you to whom it still seems to make sense because you have not matured your psychology to question this yet. And from these fears come others. We fear confrontation and uncomfortable emotions and and emotional conflict because these seem to be the the harbingers of, of the rejection and the ostracism and the abandonment. We think as long as there's no confrontations and conflicts and negative emotions, there won't be any rejection and ostracism and abandonment. It's a simple kind of calculation, isn't it? A simple equation that we come to believe in. And this develops a need for control, which is at the heart of people-pleasing. Really, people-pleasing is about control. If I can control so there is no confrontations and no uncomfortable emotions, I can prevent rejection and ostracism and abandonment. So the question becomes, how do I control those factors? How do I prevent them from happening? How do I control the way other people feel? Right? And how do I control the way I feel so I don't do anything that makes other people feel uncomfortable? So people-pleasing becomes this obsession with control. Controlling yourself to match whatever needs to be matched so that you're liked. And then using that to control other people's feelings so that they like you. Right? And you become obsessed with the outcome of somebody liking you. If you notice you've become really worried about someone liking you, you're not even sure if you like them. Like some girl you like isn't texting you back and you become like really feeling rejected by it and really awful, and yet you don't even know her. You know, she could be a really bad fit for you. You don't know her well enough yet to make that conclusion, but you're so hurt by her not liking you. Well, what you're really hurt by is that loss of control. As a side effect, people pleasers tend to avoid uncontrollable situations and risk-taking. They like to keep things safe and comfortable and familiar because control is what it's all about. So people-pleasing extends beyond the social world. Not only will you have all sorts of social restrictions, but your life itself will often be restricted as a consequence. Maybe you're not going for the career you want or traveling the way you want or trying new things because your general fear of the uncontrollable. Right, You stay away from things that are unfamiliar, even if they appeal to you, even if they're interesting. I didn't start dancing until I was in my late 20s, even though I kind of wanted to from a very young age. Why? Because I thought people would not like me. I wouldn't be able to control it, and I wouldn't be maybe wouldn't be good at it. So I couldn't control the dancing or how people felt about me if they were to find out I was dancing. So that was actually a huge self-development step for me to get into dancing, because I had to face all my people-pleasing fears. There's a belief underneath it, nice equals good, not nice equals bad, right? If people are pleased around me, I'm a good person, 
If people are unpleased around me or unhappy around me, I am a bad person. It's an interesting and very simple belief, isn't it? It's a very childlike belief. And you can clearly see exceptions to this. So if I was being nice but it was fake to manipulate you, does that mean I'm a good person? And if I was being not nice but it was honest to help you, does that mean I'm a bad person? The whole idea that nice is good and not nice is bad is really the, the, the gravity of the people-pleaser universe. And yet the whole thing is questionable. We also develop these strategies because we have no sense of self. We don't know who we are. And we have to get that identity from others. I didn't know who I was, so I became the nice guy or the funny guy. Anything I could get approval for, I would fit into. I'd become it. And I'd hide things about myself that didn't fit. Like I really liked to read a lot of books, but I wouldn't tell my friends about that because they'd call me a nerd. So there's things that I did know about myself, like I love reading, but I'd put that aside and, and, and prioritize the people-pleaser identity. You, you'll be doing this too. There'll be something you do but hide from people. If you're doubtful, just think of masturbation. You probably don't tell people about that, right? Or there'll be something you want to do and choose not to because it doesn't fit the identity. And it all comes down to one thing. Approval equals love. So the, I think the simplest way to describe the why behind the people-pleaser belief system is that approval equals love. I want love, so I try to get approval. And I use controlling methods to do so. So that's why I think people-pleasing exists. It's essentially an outdated pattern that probably did help you survive. There were some qualities to that. You might have suffered had you not developed the strategy as a child. You did the best you could with what you knew at the time. But now you're still applying it, and yet the world outside you has changed significantly. If you're listening to this, and if you're this far into the podcast, there's a good chance that your people-pleasing has now become detrimental to your life, not helpful. You're now missing out on opportunities, you're not connecting with people deeply, you either don't have relationships or your relationships are superficial and full of self-sacrifice, you're not doing what you want to do with your life, you're easily frightened, you're constantly limited and scared of shit all the time, you're socially anxious, you go through waves of depression, you don't know who the fuck you are. You know, by the time you get older, people-pleasing turns into a fucking nightmare. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. So what to do about it? How do you go from people-pleaser to genuine and confident? Now this is going to sound biased, but I can only say what I honestly believe, and that is you've got to get a fucking coach. Okay? Get coaching with me or contact me and I'll find you someone else. I don't care who it's with. It's almost impossible to work through people-pleasing on your own because you're like a fish in the water. You can't see the water. You don't even know what it looks like because you've been in it your whole life. You need someone who's on your side with an outside perspective to show you your beliefs with a fresh viewpoint and help you challenge them and break through them because you are owned by them. All right? And I, I really think people-pleasing can be dealt with by yourself, but put it this way. I tried to deal with it by myself for about five years, and then I got my first coach and made more progress with that coach in three months than I had the five years previous to that. Because the five years, I only had my own feedback to work with. So I only had a people-pleaser giving me feedback on being a people-pleaser. 
I needed someone who was out of that system to see what I was doing and call it out for what it is. You, know, you need to be challenged. You have to have almost your entire belief system dismantled and replaced with the real you, the healthy and helpful, authentic values that you that you really do have underneath it all. You need that outside perspective, I promise you. If you do insist on doing it on your own, understand that honesty is the key. People pleasing cannot survive honesty, especially honesty about emotions. First, you must be honest with yourself about what you think and believe and feel, and then you must express that to people. Okay, and usually this means a confrontation. It means saying no when people want you to say yes. It means showing anger and disappointment and sadness when people want you to be happy and allowing others to do the same. There's a lot of saying no in the healing process to, to, to people-pleasing. And there's a lot of making people uncomfortable and upsetting them with your beliefs and your thoughts and your feelings. You know what they are. You know those situations where you have to adjust. We start saying something, you see a look on someone's face and you change it. The people pleaser is the one who changes it. The confident person keeps going and keeps going into that offended reaction. Now you've got to look at your support circle as well. You either need to change it if you're surrounded by people who basically use you for your people pleasing or enable you to be a people pleaser. Or if you've got good helpful supporters, the kind who would maybe hear this podcast and go, oh my god, that's so you, fuck yeah, I wish you could change that. You know, tell them about it. Say, look, call me out on this. If you ever see me doing something that's people-pleasing, challenge me on it. Tell me to stop. Point out, you know, if I'm being needy or if you feel like I'm trying to manipulate you or you feel like I'm trying to fix you or anything like that. If you ever catch me doing that, call me out on it. I want to know. Identify your shame and reveal it. You know, you'll have a list of things that you don't show people because you think it will make them abandon you. Write that list of things out. What are the things that you think, if people knew about you, they would reject you, laugh at you, mock you, embarrass you? Make it your mission to share all the things on that list with everyone until there's no one left that you're ashamed of sharing it with. People pleasers can't do that. So if you're doing that, you know you're no longer a people pleaser and you're being honest and confident instead. And look at the way you treat yourself. You almost definitely treat other people better than you treat yourself. You need to reverse that. You don't have to treat other people badly. But you have to treat yourself good first. Okay? Make it a rule. You are not allowed to help other people until you're in a good space. Until you're not busy. Until you've taken care of your body. Until you've taken care of your mind. Until you're feeling healthy and like shit is under control. Then, if you've got spare time, you'll help people. No more self-sacrifice. Like I said, I really am here to help people with this in any way that I can. Okay, so get in touch with me, dan at brojo.co.nz. Anything from just pointing you at some resources all the way through to coaching you one-to-one and everything in between. Whatever I can do to help you with this serves my mission. Alright, so let me do my work. Thank you so much for listening and being part of this podcast. Share it around, share it with people that uh, you know should benefit from it. And I'll see you all next time. Cheers. Cheers.